Baruch Hashem Yahweh, as we start a new biblical year, biblical new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Of course, the 20th was the equinox, so uh, the 21st was day one of the new year, so we're getting ready for Passover. And um, what better preparation for Passover than the warnings and the assurity that comes to us through the first scroll of Ezekiel. We are Ezekiel and the revelation of the 13 scrolls. Today we're going to dive into scroll one. Scroll one, turn in your Bibles, is Ezekiel 8, chapter 1, through Ezekiel 19, verse 14. You can download and print from our website the order of the scrolls if you want to. I think they actually come in a really nice size that you can attach into your Bibles. So let's go into scroll number one, vision one, the book of Ezekiel, chapter eight. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, and in the fifth day of the month that I was sitting in mine house and the elders of Judah sat before me that the hand of the master Yahuwah fell upon me. And there we have the date of the first vision, the first scroll established the sixth year, the sixth month, the fifth day, 06, 05, 06. Now we established last week that Ezekiel titled chapters 1 through 4 in the Masoretic text or the King James Version cannot be numbered as within the first vision and the first scroll because we know in Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 4 that Ezekiel was instructed to lie down for 430 days. So that couldn't have happened before this because here we find in less than 430 days, Ezekiel is sitting up because it is only 14 months later we find Ezekiel sitting up. Ezekiel did not rise, we established last week, 10 to 30 days early. We're using Bible hermeneutics here and now can proceed safely on with the vision ascertaining that this is in fact the first vision and the first scroll chapter 8 verse 1 now these elders in chapter 8 verse 1 which is the first scroll first vision they'd been exiled in Babylon along with Jehoiachin um, six years earlier, and since they had been there for six years, they were kind of unaware of what was going on in Jerusalem. They were unaware of just how many of Nebuchadnezzar's guard and army had surrounded Jerusalem and had actually advanced upon Jerusalem. And they wanted to know what was the fate of their brethren. What is the fate of the holy city? Because they had been out of community communication and community for six years because they had gone with the earlier exile to Babylonia. Now, as we progress through this first vision, bear in mind that we're going to see some supernatural concepts that are going to be described in physical terms. So get ready. Then I beheld and lo, 
a likeness as the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins and downward. Fire and from his loins and upwards as the appearance of brightness as it were glowing metal. Of course, we've done some teachings on the metallic teachings on the Messiah and the temple man. If you go back and look at our past teachings on the temple man, you'll see that I go into the um, the dress, the metallic Messiah. I believe we're seeing the vision of the anointed Kohen Haggadah, Yahusha, as the metallic Mashiach right here, ready for judgment. Verse 3 And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Ruach lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of Elohim to Jerusalem, to the door of the gate of the inner court that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. Now, just as a master would drag a defiant slave to jail by his hair, so we find the master Yahuwah dragging Ezekiel to Jerusalem in this vision. In the olden days, that's exactly what a master would do. He would drag his defiant slave off to jail. And we see that same description now given the master Yahuwah is now dragging off Ezekiel because Ezekiel, he really doesn't necessarily want to be in the position that he's in. He he knew what happened to Jeremiah. Things don't look good for holy prophets of Yahweh, do they? They end up in canals and down in ditches, sometimes sawn in two. I mean, so he's a little bit reluctant, so therefore we get that language coming across to communicate. Ezekiel isn't just like triumphant in his position as a prophet. He was a little reluctant with the burden that he has to carry. And now we find that Ezekiel did in fact remain in Babylon, but he saw himself leaving as if going to Jerusalem. Now, the image of jealousy, as we get into here, was an idol that was actually designed to provoke Yahuwah by being placed inside the very temple of Yahuwah. And I look around today and I see the voices that communicate out in the political world. And I really do think at some point some of these people are deliberately deliberately defiant and trying to provoke the master creator of the heavens and the earth. And when you get, when society gets to such a base level of degradation where you are getting into denying how you were created and how you are to function as a human being based upon that creation, that is base level degradation. And when a society embraces that kind of bestial behavior, that really means that you have come to the point, as we'll get later on into the text, there's a particular phrase that's used in the Bible called the time of visitation. When a society gets to that base level, then you cannot prevent the rolling of the time of visitation that will come upon you. Now, we are in that time. 
We cannot prevent the visitation. Why we can prepare and become equipped to endure it, which is why we're all here and hopefully why our audience is listening today because we have come to that point. So, remember it was King Manasseh who had the shamelessness to bring that very idol into the sanctuary itself. And it was his grandson, his righteous grandson Josiah, who found both the book of the law and the book of the covenant that then he put into and implemented the purging of all idolatry and he brought in a spirit, a ruach of repentance, didn't he? And the people made Teshuvah right before and in that time but now we find within a generation we find within a generation things have gone wayward again because in the time of Josiah do you remember there was a man called Shaphan Shaphan the scribe who actually found the book of the law and he gave it to Hilkiah the Cohen it was Shaphan who um, gave that scroll to King Josiah. Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan the scribe. And Shaphan the scribe then went and gave the covenant, the book of the law, and thereby the book of the covenant. Because remember, the book of the covenant, the book of the law, was a witness outside of the covenant itself. So the two were found in the same place. And that brought in a time of repentance. But here we find within just a single generation that Shaphan's son, Jazaniah, had fallen back into the very idolatry his father had been instrumental in cleansing. So we really have a responsibility because within one generation... They can blow it all. Blow it all. They say it only takes three generations to use up all the wealth of the previous generations. You have to educate and you have to disciple. Otherwise, everything that you work for can literally be blown by the next generation that squanders it. So, we see this here with Shaphan's son, Jazaniah, fallen back into idolatry. And we'll see the result of Josiah's eradication of all vestiges of Malkitzedic rites with the ensuing abominations later on of the 24 courses of Levitical priests. And we'll see the Levitical high priest in a few verses caught up in all of this idolatry. Look at verse 4. And behold, the glory of the Elohim of Israel was there according to the appearance that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward of the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the very entry. Now Ezekiel at this point is directed to look into the northern part of the temple courtyard. And this was opposite where the table of showbread is. Now, the table of showbread is representative, of course, of Yahusha, the bread of life, which, of course, as we see this, this northern part opposite the table of showbread, which was in the northernmost part of the sanctuary, this 
showbread representing Messiah Yahushua as the promise of Israel's redemption and future prosperity. But Manasseh, Manasseh, what did he do? He placed the image of jealousy right here in the north, right here in the north part of the sanctuary to try and seduce the people into thinking that their material success was dependent upon idolatry, not upon Yahweh. Because the whole purpose and point of the northern part of the sanctuary is this. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 11 is the material offerings. Everything material is in the northern part of the sanctuary. So by placing the image of jealousy, he's in, in actuality saying, you rely on the idol for all of your material blessings. Don't rely upon Yahuwah. Today, we find the same thing. Instead of northward, everybody within a hundred years, this didn't exist a hundred years ago, now the upcoming generation, they are looking southward to Hollywood and they are literally thinking that all of their material blessings are going to come from that Hollywood rock star lifestyle. Even Christian churches are modeling themselves after that prosperity and glamour and you've got pastors that are communing with Justin Bieber and they're, they, they are, they're filtering into all of this because they're looking to that for their material blessings instead of looking to the creator Elohim. We've traded the south for the north but it's the same root problem idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 11 tells us that the material blessings were and he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before Yahuwah and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. The northern side of the sanctuary was to remind you that your material blessings come from Yahuwah and Yahuwah alone. Everything that we have, all of your wealth, all of your prosperity, your health, your very life comes from Yahuwah alone. And I start and end every day with thankfulness to the Creator Elohim because that is what the Bible teaches. And the moment you start to look southward in our modern generation, you have got a major problem. Major problem. Verse 6, And he said unto me, Son of man, seest thou? Seest thou? Do you seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel do commit here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. But thou shalt again see yet another in great abominations. The emphasis is upon what? Seeing. Seeth thou, and you shall see again. The component of seeing is brought to the very forefront of the text all the way to the end of the chapter because this is the answer to the false claim of the sinners 
I don't see that this is sin. I, I don't see it as sin. Do we see that today? Do we, how, how many times do you try to communicate? Well, I don't see it as sin. I see it, that's the way that I was born. Yes, you were born that way. It's called a sinner. You can choose to give in to that sin or you can choose to overcome. There are many sins and we all have a specific sin that we are is prevalent in our generations. Some people have a tendency to be thieves. Some people have a tendency to be abusers. Some people have a tendency to be gamblers. Some people have a tendency to be sexually immoral. Some people have a tendency to femininity. These are all things that you can choose to lay down and be conquered by, or you can be overcomers. So yes, I agree, you were born that way. It's called a sinner. Overcome the sin. Love the sinner, but don't be conquered by sin. Overcome it and renew your mind by the reading and washing of the word and you will be set free. But people want the bondage. They want the darkness. And when you start to shine the light, Well, I don't see it that way. This is the same problem. There is nothing new under the sun because the false claim of the sinners is that they say, oh, I don't see it that way. I don't see what I'm doing as an affront and an offense to the creator. Right here in our text, verse 7. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then he said unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went and I saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about it. Ezekiel is told to go in and widen up that hole, make it big enough so that he can enter in and see the idols see what the people were worshipping they were doing it in the secret place the person that you really are the person that I really am is what I do at home when nobody else is watching open up your computer get into the hard drive that's the person that you really are Open up your phone. Look at the browsing history. That's the person that you really are. Okay? Today, we have got to be real and authentic. Because it's what you do in the dark, that's who you are. It's all very easy when you're out in front of people. But it's who you are when nobody is watching. That's what we see right here. They were doing it in the secret place. Look at the hidden nature of their abominations. On the surface, they seemed to appear righteous, but inwardly, they were spiritually corrupt. Now, Ezekiel, he is speaking to us today prophetically from this very first, because Yahweh, he will show all of his people in the last generation before the tribulation. All of you sitting here and me, what has Yahweh shown us? When you were sitting in church, 
What did he show you? What did he show me? He showed us a hole in the wall, didn't he? Now, you have an option then. As soon as I saw the, sh- the hole in the wall, I just dove in and started to expand that wall. And, 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 and I, oh, look at him, what are you all doing? Now, some people, what they try to do is they try to scoop down on the ground and they try and find some silly putty or something. Oh, no, I don't, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no. And, they try, and, and later on, as we get through Ezekiel, you'll actually see that wattle and daub, we call it in England, wattle and daub, mud and straw. It really doesn't affix that well to the plaster and it will peel off. Everybody in our generation today with the internet, the research that we've been doing, we will all be held accountable. Every believer who is converted, Yahweh has shown you the hole in the wall. Pastors have been shown the hole in the wall. You either choose to expand the hole and declare truth or You try and cover it up and ignore it so that you can continue in your false worship practices. This is the truth of the revelation prophetically in our day. Ezekiel is showing us prophetically that Yahweh will show all, and all means all, his people in the last generation before the great tribulation, a hole in the wall. And it's the responsibility of the believer once shown the whole to widen it up and truly come to see what is going on within the religious sphere. And I am so blessed and proud to be in the company of the saints, you, that have chosen to widen up the whole because we are the company together. We could have chosen to smear some wattle and daub on it and walk away. And I know many that did. Many that did, but we chose no, like Ezekiel, to open it up. And then once you do, it's not just the religious fear that you start to see the abominations. You get revelation in the political and geographic, geopolitical religious sphere. Everything, don't you? You're no longer drinking the Kool-Aid because you've widened the hole. And now you look back at the old you and you think, how could I have believed that? As Lisa said, bobbleheads. We have to ask the questions because as we see now, as we go forward, Ezekiel is telling us, Yahweh is going to show you all the whole, but you have to decide whether you're going to wattle and daub it or expand it. Will the people turn a blind eye? Will they try and fill that hole? Or will they walk forward and then expose it? We are the people that expose it. Verse 11. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. See, within a generation, he is now fallen backward. Every man with his censer in his hand, and the odor of the cloud of the incense went up. Now, think about it. Where else in Scripture do you see this? Look at the contrast between the elders of Israel here and the nation of Malkitzedic priests in Exodus chapter 24 at the book of the covenant confirming meal. 
And here we've got the elders desecrating the book of the law within the Levitical priestly realm. These were the 70 judges of the great Sanhedrin. Look what they're doing. These were the 70 judges of the great Sanhedrin. They were burning incense and burning incense was one of the holiest of the offerings in the temple. But hang on a minute. The only time a man was allowed to enter the Kadosh HaKedoshim, the Holy of Holies, was when the high priest brought the special incense in on Yom Kippur. So what we have here is another Korah situation, don't we? Everybody's got their own senses. We've got a false priesthood and we've got jockeying for the priesthood and position right here. What a contrast between Exodus chapter 24 and the Malkitzedic community of priests and here the backslidden and and fallen down Levitical priestly realm. Really shows you what has happened over Israel's history, doesn't it? Verse 12. Then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in his chambers of imagery. For they say, Yahuwah seeth us not. Yahuwah hath forsaken the land. He also said unto me, Thou shalt again yet see another great abominations which they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of Yahuwah's house, which was towards the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Thou shalt again see greater abominations than these. It's disheartening and saddening to see the downfall, isn't it? Ezekiel was shown the northern gates because the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied that from the north, Babylonia, the judgment would be released upon the household of Yah. And today we see prophetically that we're going to see the judgment come down on the nation state of Israel from the Assyrian north, the Syrians and Babylonia, the modern day Persians. There's nothing new under the sun, which is why you have Netanyahu coming over here because they see the absolute emergency situation going on now with the um, Persians getting ready and fully nuclear capable. So again, the judgments, be aware as we look at this unfolding as we go through the scrolls. Let's talk a little bit about this idol, Tammuz. Tammuz, he was an idol whose eyes were made of soft lead. What happens when you heat up soft lead? It starts to cry. It starts to melt. So they deliberately made the idol with eyes of lead. And when they heated up the the furnace in which they would put the sacrificed children, they would, of course, the idol would start to weep and weep and weep and weep. It was made in such a way that when it was heated up for the burning of the infant sacrificial victims, his eyes would appear as if to weep as the lead began to melt. He would shed tears rolling down his face as if begging for more offerings, more sacrifices. 
What an abomination. Now, the women here, of course, are um, participating in what was called in this elaborate crying game. It was the crying game. The elaborate ritual performed in the summer month of Tammuz where the mourning of the false prophet named Tammuz after which the idol and month were named. Now this prophet Tammuz, he preached to a king that he should worship the seven planets and the twelve signs of the zodiac, a new set of gods. And the king had Tammuz, this false prophet, tortured to death. Today, we have to be very on guard with all of the stargazing that can go around and seep into our assemblies because the Enochian calendar's connection to the 24 priestly courses and their connection of the worship of the seven planets and the 12 signs of the zodiac is uncanny, to say the least, and a warning sign to those, even those with limited discernment, surely. We have to be very cautious because there's a lot of that going on today verse 16 and he brought me into the inner court of Yahuwah's house and behold at the door of the temple of Yahuwah between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men with their backs towards the temple of Yahuwah and their face towards the east and they were worshipping the sun towards the east now this just shows you how corrupt the priesthood had become we have the priests of the 24 priestly courses plus the high priest, the Kohen Haggadal, all here worshipping the sun. The Levitical priesthood has gone to pot, has it not? Literally, literally. This is the result of the Enochian calendar's influence on the priestly courses as attested to by the mystical rites based upon Talmudic magic and mathematical formulas that later appeared to have influenced even those down in the Qumran community. I think today... My approach, a more balanced approach, is that we should look to the book of the covenant, we should look to the times of Noah, we should base our calculations and calendaration based upon scripture and try aligning it with the times of Noah and the division of the month into 30 days and the equinox, not try and align it with the apostate Levitical priestly courses, because you can see what they were doing was based upon the Enochian rites, and it led them into apostasy. And we have to be so careful today. I'd rather take a more balanced approach than trying to do these crazy math formulas that are going to lead you to the 24 priestly courses that were totally off their rocker. Anyway, especially when we're supposed to be following the Malkitzedic high priest. Why would we follow a Levitical apostate system? It makes no sense, sense to me. Not to mention now we've got people that are going to be celebrating Easter, Ashtate here in a couple of weeks. I mean, not to mention that pagan calendar, which of course we know Constantine and thereby Christianity adopted. Um, And of course it's led us today to that being the most popular um, 
festival in our modern calendar, even if Apple decides to take it off of their calendaration. I believe they actually did this year. They got some pushback. And I, I, I know what people are going to say. Well, what better way to celebrate than to bite the head off the bunny goddess? Go to a sunrise service and get yourself a sticky-footed chicken and, you know, <laughs> stick it to your refrigerator and, you know, go hunting for eggs. I mean, what's wrong with that? And we can all end up and sit around the table with a nice hefty slice of pagan simul cake. Doesn't make any sense to me. But I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, yes, but the holiday has its roots in horrific pagan traditions and lies. But that shouldn't make any difference. I mean, if you're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't mind if you hid a few eggs for the kids and, you know, associate him with a pagan foreign idol. I mean, would he? But that's the reasoning and logic. And I listen to these things and I'm like... Can, do you, do you hear yourself? (laughs) But again, we used to be there, but we widened up the hole in the wall. But people, you mention Easter and they're like, oh, try cover up that hole in the wall. No, no, no. It's time because the hole is there. We just have to widen it and take in some, some personal responsibility because we will be held accountable. Everybody will, because Ezekiel was held accountable for seeing the hole in the wall. And you know what? Most today have seen the hole in the wall. You only have to do a Google search, pagan roots of Christianity, and the hole in the wall starts to really expand rapidly. You're not going to be able to cover up that hole for much longer, especially when you stand before the king. Especially when you stand before the king. Verse 17. And then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing of the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have turned again to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put a branch to their nose. Now, this is, this is just absolutely despicable. What they did is they were, some of you might want to plug your ears here. I hope you're not eating. They combined the hideously degrading Baal Peor worship where they would defecate in front of the idol and then send their foul odor into their nose. So they would put a branch to their nose to cover up the smell and their own shamelessness here would hit them in the face. That's what this is talking about. I mean, utterly revolting. But this is what they were doing. This is what the prophet's addressing. Because they have literally, they've allowed their humanity to be destroyed by sinking to the level of an animal. And I see that today with the youth. They've literally allowed their humanity to be destroyed by sinking to the level of an animal. We have reached this point culturally. We have reached this point culturally. It's, it, truly, it truly is horrendous, horrendous. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And because of this, because we have culturally reached this point, the day of visitation will roll forward into our days. And we're going to look at that now. 
And then he cried in mine ears with a loud voice saying, Cause ye them to have change, and excuse me, cause ye them to have charge over the city to draw near every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. If we look in the language, cause ye them to have charge over the city. That's a dedicated phrase. Have charge is the Hebrew's word. Pekudah, Pekudah, it's Strong's number 6486. And if you look at that word and track that word through the Bible, you'll find that Pekudah is the very word that informs us that the catastrophe, the catastrophe that's about to overtake Jerusalem is in fact the day of visitation that was tied to the sin of the golden calf in which Yahweh said to Moshe in Exodus 32, verse 34. This is what he said. Mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit Pakad, which is where Pakuda comes from their sin upon them. So prophetically, Yahweh always said, from the time that they broke his book of the covenant, he implemented the book of the law, but he said, because you have broken my covenant, now I'm going to give you over to your own desires. I'm not going to annihilate you. But I will, Pekuda, Pakad, visit and visit you in the prophetic future and I will bring forth my judgment. This is that point. Yahweh is now visiting. It's gone full course. They've had their run with the book of the law and they wouldn't even keep that. So now what Yahweh prophesied through Moses in Exodus 32, verse 34, has now come forward into Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1. The visitation that had been destined upon them from the very beginning of the book of the covenant breach and subsequent book of the law, which now they desecrated that book of the law before idols weeping Weeping idols. The Babylonian exile has been predestined. It was predestined since the golden calf breach because they proved, they proved that they were utterly unable to rid themselves of idol worship, didn't they? It all started with idol worship. Yahweh gave them an opportunity. And he said, if you don't get rid of the idol worship, the visitation will come forward. And they didn't get rid of the idol worship. And now the visitation from the golden calf is coming to them right here, right now. The destruction of the temple and the exiles were visitations of the sin of the golden calf. And the connection... The connection drills down even deeper when you understand that the connection of the sin of the rebellion of Korah, the priesthood, to the sin of the 24 priests and the high priest in Ezekiel 
8 verse 16 with Numbers 16 verse 29. Look at the connection here. Because we just saw the 24 priests and the high priest worshipping before Tammuz, didn't we? In the hidden space. Now we go to Numbers 16 verse 29 and we read this. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then Yahweh hath not sent me. There's the visitation. It came forward, it rolls forward. This is a biblical principle that many people miss. When a nation gets to a base level of degradation that denies the creator, denies how you were created, and then you start to act out that denial of your created being, that is such a base level of degradation. Now, Yahweh will not bring forth the visitation if that remains individually hidden. But when a nation broadcasts that in the open market, in the open square, and that becomes the social accepted norm, then the day of visitation will, there's nothing you and I can do about it, doing this or trying to put wattle and daub over the hole, will not prevent the day of visitation coming. So I am telling you, and you don't need to be told this, but we are in that day and age now, where society rejects the Creator, they reject their humanity, they reject their sexuality, they reject their identity, that is base animal degradation therefore when a nation embraces that from the top down the judgment always starts from the top down therefore the visitation from the golden calf that rolled forward to ezekiel chapter 9 rolled forward to the time of yahusha luke chapter 19 verse 41 and it will roll forward to you and I today. And he came near and he saw the city, Yahushua, Jerusalem, and he wept over it, saying, if only you had known even today the matters for your peace. But now they are hidden from thine eyes. Because days shall come upon you when your enemies shall build a rampart around you. Did they build a rampart around Jerusalem in the days of Ezekiel? Yes. And the visitation comes forward and Yahushua prophesies that same visitation that has its origin at the golden calf breach. It went forward into Ezekiel 9 and Yahushua recognizing this biblical truth, it's a biblical maxim, comes forward into his day and then he says, Because days shall come upon you when your enemies shall build a rampart around you and surround you and press you on all sides and dash you to the ground and your children within you. They shall not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The people that have wattle and daubed up the hole do not know that this is the time of your visitation 
That is in Luke chapter 19 verse 41. The people that are continuing with the Easter, the Beaster, and all of this stuff, and have seen the hole in the wall, but have wattle and daubed it up, they will not know that this is the days of our visitation. But those of us that have widened up the hole and start to see it, not only in a religious sphere, you see it in a political sphere, you see it with some of these terrorist events that have happened that have been only put forward by the globalists to expedite their agenda and that we know many of these are false flags you know what's fake news and what's not because the the hole in the wall and the revelation is increasingly becoming fast and furious and some of you are even awakening to the revelation of the falseness of the Ashkenazi and the falseness of the state of Israel. And that is really hard for people when you start stepping on Zionism. I'm not talking biblical Zionism. I'm talking 19th and 20th century human invention Zionism. Now, when you start to expand that and you can see that revelation, everything starts tumbling down you're the people that can see that the visitation is coming but you realize like i said last week and i'm going to continue to say it we are our brother's keeper we have to help rather than be a hindrance because many that have wattled and doored up the hole felt ill-equipped to deal with what they could see they felt ill-equipped in the word to deal with what they were seeing. It isn't necessarily that they are disobedient, but they're afraid, frightened, and ill-equipped. Not grounded in the word to even comprehend what they're seeing with their pastors and with their prophets. So therefore, they wattle and daub up the hole and walk away. But you and I, as our brother's keeper, we have a responsibility to communicate because the day of visitation, you and I can see, they can't see. They think everything's just going to go on today and tomorrow just as before. They really do. They really do. Really do. So it's a very serious admonition because we still haven't learned, have we? We still haven't learned, so it comes forward to us today. It's a biblical maxim. There's nothing you and I can do to prevent it, but we can prepare, and we can be those that help those that are ill-prepared to bring them in like a father would bring in the hens. That's what Yahushua's heart is. That's what our heart. It's called the Great Tribulation. We can't prevent it, but Ezekiel can help us prepare for it. Today, we await my friends, for the time of visitation as it rolls prophetically at increasing speed towards us. Don't wattle and daub up the hole. It won't go away. It's a biblical maxim. Yahushua recognized it, and even he couldn't prevent it, could he? Could he prevent the destruction of Jerusalem? No. He asked his father, Father, I mean... This cup is too heavy for me to take. But the Father wanted him to take that cup. You and I, we have to walk in what we've been destined to walk in. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 2. And behold, six men, they came from the way of the upper gate, which lieth toward the north. 
Every man with his slaughtering weapon in his hand, and one man in the midst of them clothed in linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. So here we see the six men. Who are the six men? Well, in the Hebrew, we have this, um, this term. It's called Peshat. It actually means orchard in Hebrew. And it, it talks about the different um, interpretations of, of Scripture. You have the Peshat, which is the plain sense of the text. And then you have the Remez, which is the hint. Then you have the Drash. And then you have the Sod, which is the deep mystical um, revelation. Let's look at all of these levels, the Peshat, the Ramez, the Drash, the Sod, and then look at it in light of our faith in Yahusha. So in the Peshat, the six men, the plain sense of the text, the six men were the commanders of the Babylonian army, and the seventh was the scribe of the king. The seven ministers, of course, who entered the city when the wall was breached. That's the plain sense of the text. You can cross-reference that. Let's turn there, Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 3, you'll see these seven men right here. And all the rulers of the king of Babylon, Jeremiah 39, verse 3, and all the rulers of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle, the middle gate. Negrashezar, Samgarnibo, Sarshechim, Rabsares, chief of the eunuchs, Negalsharzaneh, Rav Mag, chief soothsayer, there's your six, and number seven, all the rest of the rulers of the king of Babylon. Little rabbi trail here, a little Rav Mag trail for you. Rav Mag, Jeremiah um, 39 verse 3, this of course is where um, Judaism's rabbis come from. From this word in Jeremiah chapter 39 verse 3, uh, the, the chief soothsayer, what was his name? Rav Mag, wise rabbi. This is where the term rabbis come from. The rabbis come from the astral soothsayers in Babylon. It's a Talmudic cultic term, Ravmag. It's a Babylonian term. It's not a Jewish term. Rabbi isn't Jewish. It's Babylonian Talmudic soothsaying. Okay, let's be real. And the Hebrew word there... You can check me out. It's Hebrew word number 7227. And then it's translated in the New Testament and the Septuagint in the Greek, Strong's number 3097. Of course, their Babylonian Talmudic roots, these were the mystical soothsayers and stargazers. So Daniel, he ends up exiled in Babylonia. He's in the king's court. Would he be around a bunch of stargazers, magical soothsayers? Would he? He would have known and associated with them all. They were eating the king's meat and he wasn't, right? But he was around all of these Rav Mags, these wise rabbis. Rav Mag, that's what it means. So, Daniel, when he died, he was a very wealthy man. He laid up all of his treasures with the Ravmax. And he said, when you see the sign 
in the heavens. I want you to take all of my treasures, follow the sign, and lay all of my treasures down at the one beneath the sign. So now you go into the New Testament and you find the three, there weren't three of them, wise men. It's the same Hebrew word, ravmag. These were the soothsayers from the Babylonian court that had been left with Daniel's temple treasures that went a great slew and caravan of them. They're certainly, they wouldn't have been very wise if they were traveling through the deserts with all of that merchandise. They would have been robbed and plundered before they ever got to Bethlehem. They were a caravan. There were hundreds of them. This idea that there were three, there were three gifts, but you know, tradition... These were the Rav Mags, of course, in Matthew chapter 2 that came forward. These were the wise men that laid up Daniel's treasures at the feet of the Savior. Isn't that interesting how we can get caught up in all the rabbis? They were soothsayers. This is what Judaism is based on. Judaism came from Babylon. It didn't come from the Bible. Why would we leave one pagan tradition and cross over, get into everything Hebrew, and then adopt a bunch of Babylonian Talmudic tradition and say, we're in the Hebrew roots. We're messianic. It's asinine to me. We've made mistakes. Let's correct course and let's be people of the way and follow Yahushua all the way into the kingdom. We're gatherers, not scatterers. We're gatherers. But let's scatter the paganism. I don't care whether it's Babylonian or Constantinian, if there's such a word as that. Sounds good. Let's just get rid of both of them and go the narrow road. We've got seven feasts to keep us occupied, and the Sabbath, and the new moons, the new months, if you will. Not moons, months. There's some old learning that I need to get rid of. Again, We have to move forward. We've got plenty of Bible things to keep us occupied without doing magic things, right? Thank you. I don't know why people get so offended when I talk like that. They do, because you're messing with their holidays. I say, let's keep the holy days. So let's look at these six men. I went off on my Ravmag trail. In the Ramez... In the hint, the six men are the six sinful kings of Judah. We got Manasseh. He was a sinner, wasn't he? Then we've got, of course, Amon. Then we've got Jehoahaz. Then we've got Jehoiakim. Then we've got Jehoiachin. Then we've got, of course, Zedekiah, who lost his eyes and his whole household. And the man in linen, of course, is righteous King Josiah. So that's in the Ramez. It's hinting at something. Let's look at the drash and allegory. Yahweh speaks to them, but it's highly unlikely he's going to speak to the murderous Chaldeans, isn't it? The six men here in the drash represent the six sins that cause the destruction. And the man dressed in linen, truth and purity, well, we know that's Yahushua, the Messiah. Let's look in the sowed. The sowed, the deep mystical revelation, is these are actually names. These six, they're actually names. Fury, anger, wrath, destroyer, breaker, and annihilator. And the seventh is Metatron, the guardian of Israel. 
which of course we know relates to Moshiach. But earnestly, earnestly, the man clothed in linen, worn by the high priest on judgment day, of course, is the pre-incarnate high priest, Yahushua the Messiah. His eyes as a flame of fire standing upon that sea of molten glass mingled with fire because he's about to cast fire down upon Jerusalem. Yahushua has the instruments of the word of Yahuwah, a scribe which is represented by the slate hanging from his loins. So, I mean, earnestly, I think that's really what we're looking at there. But I wanted to give you the other interpretations because I like to look at all the different angles. Look at verse 3 of chapter 9. I hope you're enjoying this. I mean, I thoroughly... Uh, I, 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 this, this has been... I was really apprehensive. I'm like, oh, it's going to be such a monstrous work. Book of Ezekiel, I'm not worthy. How can I do it? Justice. But I've really been having some just amazing time and I'm, it's the happiest times of my life is when I'm with the brethren, I'm in the word. That's when, that's, that's when you really would like me. So I'm very nice and peaceful and cordial and everything's... I'm not jacked up when I'm at home. I've got my little heater. Anyway, be as that may. But you know, don't you? Right? It brings it all down. It's like, you know too. Maybe it's like, anyway, it won't go there. That's an off-the-line thing. Verse 9. And the glory of Elohim of Israel was gone up from the cherub, the cherub, whereupon it was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writer's inkhorn by his side. Verse 4. And Yahuwah said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh, that cry over all of the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye through the city after him and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have you pity. Severity, severity, starting judgment at the household of Elohim. Ezekiel was to use a scribe's pen to inscribe the foreheads of the righteous, the mark that would spare them from death. And we hear much today about the mark of the beast. What is the mark? Well, literally, when we look here... The Tav, the Hebrew letter Tav, is the Hebrew letter for Mark. It means Mark, literally. But when the letter Tav is used as a prefix of a verb, it means you shall. You shall. So the letter Tav was actually written on the foreheads of the righteous in ink, And it published, you shall live. That's what it means. If you look at it in the biblical Hebrew, it means you shall live. It was written in ink. And the letter Tav was written on the heads of the wicked in blood. And it meant you shall die. Literally. That is what the Bible's revealing. Now we know that Yahushua is the what? The Aleph and the Tav. So now bring that forward to the book of Revelation. 
Because we can all talk about the mark of the beast and we can come up with great ideas. And there's some great ideas, but I'm a concrete guy. Let's just, okay, what are we really dealing with here? What are we really dealing with? Tav is the Hebrew letter for mark, literally. And when it's used as a prefix of a verb, it means you shall. So you shall live if you're marked with the tav in ink. You shall die if you're marked with the tav in blood. Now I look at that and I go, well, Yahushua, the blood of the lamb. The Now we're coming into Passover. I'm going to tie this into Passover. He is the olive and the tav. He marks the righteous with the ink tav, symbolizing they strove to obey the inked word of Yahweh from olive to tav. Do you and I strive to obey the inked word of Yahweh from olive to tav? Yes, we should be marked with the ink tav. And then Yahushua, the olive and the tav, he is then going to mark the wicked with a blood tav, symbolizing that they desecrated the Passover blood. And therefore they will be marked with judgment. So we need to realize that you uphold the blood because Hebrews 10 verse 26 says if you desecrate the blood, now we know that you could be in judgment and have the blood mark tav marked upon you. This harkens back, of course, to the sign of the blood of the doorposts in Egypt. And here the forehead, it's the inner soul. It's the inner soul. What better place to break right now in Ezekiel as Passover comes upon us next week. We'll join for a Passover um, congregational Shabbat and then go into Passover the following week. But we prayerfully hope that we will be passed over and that we'll be marked with the ink tav because we uphold the blood of the Passover. But those that desecrate the Passover blood could verily be marked with a blood tav. Biblically, there's much to learn because judgment starts, as Ezekiel tells us in this first scroll. Where does it start? It starts at the household of Yah. It starts at the household of Yah. And yes, they were looking northward. They were looking northward for their material blessings. But today, it saddens me to see the youth. They are literally on their phones looking southward to Hollywood for their material blessing, looking southward for all of that false, um, it's, it's idolatry, but it's so rampant. A hundred years ago, we never had such a thing, 80 years ago, but it is so prevalent in, in, in all aspects of society that you can barely escape it. You can barely escape it. I think they took the guy from the Academy Awards and they stuck him on the Capitol here in Oregon. I mean, why, why did they do that? I mean, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's absolutely everywhere. It's our responsibility to widen up the hole. You can't wattle and daub it. Now, people are going to be Googling, what's wattle and daub? It's a great thing, but, you know, I think a bit of uh, drywall is better. We need to look north. Look at what's happening in Syria. Look at the Persians and look at the threat because that's where the judgment's going to come from. And that is something that we see in our day. 
And you cannot stop, though you may want to, though I may want to. We cannot stop the day of visitation. There's no point trying to plug up the hole. There's no point trying to put your fingers in the ears and pretend, oh, it's not going to happen to us. When a society gets to this base level of denying the creator in all aspects of their creation and a society embraces it publicly from the marketplaces, at that point, the day of visitation will come forward because that is base idolatry. And Yahuwah has put it in his Bible that it will roll forward. His son recognized it and couldn't even prevent it. You and I need to recognize it. The prophet gives us a warning. We are living in the days of visitation. The only thing we can do is become spiritually equipped and trained to endure it and then help our brother who has decided to wattle and daub up the hole. We have to help them because they cannot see that the day of visitation is coming. And finally, Passover fast approaches. We have to get right inward so that we can get marked outward because it's truly the inner soul where we're marked. We have to realize that relationship and conversion is the only key, and that starts with the blood of the Lamb. We have to get our household in order. We have to seek and search and be covered by the blood of Yahushua because that's the only way. These people, they had all the outer trappings of religion. But unless you are converted in soul and you have actually come to relationship with Yahushua, then it's all outward and for naught. And I see over the years people walking away from the Messiah. But if you truly knew him, you could never walk away from that love. If you truly knew him, they never knew him. Because for me, having experienced experienced a conversion from death to life when all of all of my knowledge all of my intellect all of my logic fails me i know him and that faith and that trials that he's brought me forth and through that love is real that you can never deny it's like the love more of the love more so than you have for your own beloveds and that's how he feels for us We have got to get that point where we have opened up our heart and accepted Yahushua in because that blood is the blood that brings us to that point where we'll be marked for life. And the prophet warns us. These are days when we have to realize that the day of visitation, you and I have been chosen to live within this generation, and it's a privilege. But I'm no longer going to be at odds with my brother I want to realize it's a responsibility that we've been given to have this light. And now we need to steward it with patience and gentleness to help those that have wattled up the hole. Because at first I thought, oh, they just want their pagan stuff. But in reality, when I've had conversations, they felt ill-equipped to deal with what they saw. They couldn't believe it, and they weren't equipped to go and challenge the pastors through the word. And I understand that. Now, me, I'm different. I saw that hole. I expanded it, and I invited all the pastors around my house, had them crying, offended, and red-faced and raging, and never came back. That wasn't a particularly good idea either. So, you know, there's got to be some middle ground. You know, we live, we learn. But, you know, I tend to confront things rather than wattle and daub. 
be that as it may, Ezekiel gives us warning, does he not? Father, we thank you. Truly, may we be prepared for the Passover. Abba, as Ezekiel truly warns us, that these days are the days of Elijah, Abba. The days of Elijah, where you are revealing your truth to your people. And Abba, we thank you humbly for the privilege that, Abba, that you have allowed us the courage to expand the whole and to address these things that are happening in our religious culture and those things that are happening in our society, Abba, that we will stand, Yahweh, for righteousness and truth and pray, Abba, that we will be put down, Abba, in the book of life and marked for life, Abba, in Yahusha's name. Amen. Questions, comments, anything at all? Got a grouping over here. What color? I don't want to get into the whole calendar thing, but I know you exposed something to me about Revelation where it talked about the last three and a half years. Could you expand on that just a, just a little bit about it's 30 days, 30 days, 30 days? And, uh, yeah, we were talking about the, the, uh, the danger of the Enochian calendar based upon the, mag- the magical rites that were happening in, in Babylon and the Talmudic and um, all of this we see originating right here in Ezekiel where the 24 priestly courses and the high priest are now caught up in the worship of Tammuz and stargazing, worshiping the sun. Now, when today people talk about the Enochian calendar and these mathematical calculations, we have to understand that these mathematical origins go back to the Ravmags. These were mathematicians, these soothsayers that were stargazers. And these calculations were based upon many of this soothsaying that was found and formed in Babylon. And the apostate priesthood, So when the Enochian calendar today, its adherents come forward and try to base the calendar based upon the 24 priestly courses and the way that it's aligned, that is a grave warning based upon this scripture that we should not go that way. Specifically when we know and we count the days of Noah during the days of the flood, we can tell that there were 30-day months. And also we know prophetically something's going to happen when the tribulation happens that is going to shift the earth at some point because we know that we're going to get 1260 days and when you divide that you find again that you're going to have 30-day months in the future. So we are in this midpoint between the prophecies. So I say let's be balanced. Let's stay within what we see from Genesis 1 to Exodus 24:11, which is basically 30-day months and the day the start of the year is set by the visualization of seeing the sign which is the equinox. This year it happened on March 20th, we saw the sign. So there, March 21st was the first day of the year, Aviv 1, which, of course, leads us to Passover here on next week. I hope that makes sense. But again, it's a balanced approach. And the 30-day months, of course, was the days of Noah. And in the future, it's going to go back 
to 30 days based upon the divisions in Daniel and the book of Revelation of 1260 days. So why get caught up in arguments and mathematical formulas that are based upon a priestly courses that were apostate and actually came from all of this judgment and led into the Babylonian Rav Mag soothsaying. Again, we've got to get out of the Talmud. We've got to get out of pagan Roman Constantine's um, traditions and move forward into simple biblical hermeneutics because that is the safest place to be when everything's going sideways on us. We want to be grounded and grounded in the word, which is concrete, is the best thing for me and for you. Our main questions? All right. So, Father, we thank you. Bless the people. Bless our time and prepare us for Passover in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.